in my story was I didn't feel emotionally safe, right, in an environment where the adults were constantly at each other, when there was so much manipulation, when there was paranoia, when there was just like a lot, a lot of chaos. And my survival right? Was watching the facts and the details and making sure. And like, I also flew under the radar as a kid and pretended like I was fine and unaffected because I believed that if I wasn't fine, we would all crash and burn. I was like mm-hmm. looking around. I was like, the adults are not fine. So I better be fine because otherwise we're really screwed here. What's up and welcome to the very best self podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown, and today I have Vienna Farron on the pod. She is a marriage and family therapist here in New York City, and she helps you heal wounds that origin originated from your family. She is the bestselling author of The Origins of You, which is a brand new book that just came out, uh, which is about how to break family patterns and help liberate the way that we live and the way that we love. So this episode is really, 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 really good. Uh, it's talking about relationships. We're talking about you know relationships with ourselves, relationships with our partners, relationships with our children. Um, we really kind of touch on all of it, relationships with our, fam- our you know, parents and understanding some of our origin wounds uh, and why we are the way that we are. Uh, We cover a lot of ground really on this episode. And so I think you're going to like what we get into. Um, So Vienna started her own practice, uh, mindful marriage and family therapy in an effort to expand her approach and helping as many people as possible step into, you know, their personal transformations and kind of unpack their baggage and unlearn some, some lessons here. So if you've got some patterns in your life that continue to show up over and over and over again, and you want to see things happen a little bit differently, unfold a little bit differently, this episode is definitely for you. And I feel like all of us are definitely wanting that in some way, shape or form. So I feel like it's for everybody. So I hope you enjoy. Um, You can follow her on Instagram, Vienna Farron. She is at mindful MFT mindful MFT. Um, yeah, and pick up a copy of her new book, The Origins of You. So let's get into it. All right. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown, and I am really excited to have this conversation today, you guys. Uh, just truly, truly excited. So I have Vienna Farron on the podcast, you guys. She is the author of the best-selling book, The Origins of You, How Breaking Family Patterns Can Help Liberate the Way That We Live and the Way That We Love. So I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Excited for this conversation too. Yes. And so for those of you who don't know who she is um, and who are not currently following her work, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of New York uh, who practices in New York City and Manhattan. Um, and you uh, help people kind of navigate unpacking uh, their patterns, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of what you specialize in with couples yeah. and also individuals. Yeah, that's right. Couples, families, uh, individuals. Yeah, it's like a lot of the focus has been on these unwanted patterns that we have in our adult lives that 
we can't shake or we try really hard to shake them, but then we keep finding ourselves back at the same thing over and over and over again. And yeah, my work is about understanding the pain, um, how the pain from the past, the unresolved pain from the past is actually what's in the driver's seat there, right? So whatever those unwanted patterns are, I'm like thinking about the listener right now, like what's that one thing or those multiple things that you wish that you could change, that you struggle to change, um, that is likely linked to something unresolved about your past. And my work, I, because I'm a marriage and family therapist, um, my work is deeply rooted in understanding the family of origin, um, the family systems in which we grew up. So I really like to look through the lens of, okay, tell me about the adults in your life. What was it like growing up? Um, and generally we're going to find lots of important stuff there. Right. I'm sure. I mean, they're, and, and some examples of things, patterns that continue to show up, I think are probably, you know, uh, can you give us some, some examples? Yeah. You're like speaking for a friend, right? Um, I think some of the really easy ones that we, that we tend to notice is like the same conflict that we might have with a partner or a parent. The fact that we keep dating emotionally unavailable people over and over again, maybe we're chronically unhappy at work, no matter how many times we change a job, promise to set that boundary, but when we get right there next to it, we don't set the boundary, right? So these things, a lot of times it's the things that we kind of promise ourselves, like I'll never do that again, or I really want this thing to shift, or, you know, we're able to give that advice to a friend, like, oh, you should definitely not be dating that person. And then when it comes to us, right, like somehow we're not actually able to take the advice that we're giving. So yeah, those are some, some of the common ones, but really like just noticing where there's reactivity in your life is going to be a really good indicator indicator that there is something unresolved that needs your attention. That's major. I feel like noticing mm -hmm. where there's reactivity. And I saw something on your Instagram that I loved, which was receiving feedback with curiosity instead mm -hmm. of defensiveness. And I was like, Oh, I was mm -hmm. like, is she talking to me? Like, I feel like she is talking to me. <laughs> the but, attack. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like that is something that I struggle with so much where I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like I think I just view myself to be someone who's very smart. And so sometimes I feel like I like have this like bird's eye view and I'm like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. Like this is how it's actually going and this is how it's playing out. And when people don't see it my way, mm -hmm. then I feel like I become sometimes defensive. And so I was like, wow, mm -hmm. I was like, if I could receive differing opinions with curiosity instead of mm -hmm. defensiveness, then. It's an interesting, it's interesting that you said that because I think our behavior always serves something. And I remember when I was, I, I was in a conflict with my partner um, when we were dating, my, who is now my, my uh, husband. And I remember it was early on in our relationship and we were in a fight about something. I can't remember what it was about, but I know what I can remember very clearly is that I needed to be right. And I couldn't stop proving my point. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me think about it. And I'm like, I'm saying the thing over and over again. And Connor's like, yeah, babe, I got it. And he's like actually taking it. And he's like, yep, you're right. Like understood. And I'm doubling down and I'm tripling down. I cannot <laughs> stop going. And he's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then finally I have this out of body experience where I'm like peeking in at myself. 
like still speaking, right? And you're just like, shut up, like stop talking. Like this is not, this is not attractive at all. And I remember when it was done, I had a lot of shame and embarrassment about the behavior. And I was really afraid, um, like, ooh, like this is really unattractive. I wonder if he's gonna wanna stay with me um, if this is what the behavior is. And certainly uh, if I were to continue behaving this way, uh, I think that that would be a pretty big disconnector. So instead of though, Staying in my shame, I got really curious about what does needing to be right serve? You know, like what is it about needing to be right or proving my point that like holds some information in it? And little backstory, um, I share this in the book, um, bits of it in the book, but I grew up in a family system where there was a separation and divorce that took nine years when I was in first grade, lots of chaos, lots of high conflict, um, psychological abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, paranoia, emotional flooding, like everything you could possibly think of, throw it into the mix. I'm an only child. So it's this like tiny little human in the system, watching it all go down. And I remember when I asked myself that question about like, what is needing to be right? Proving my point actually serves. It brought me to, right, okay, so as a kid, I watched that psychological abuse and manipulation and gaslighting happen. And what I saw was that it really was crazy making for my mom. Like she didn't really know what was true, what was not true. And as a kid, one of the skill sets that I acquired, if you will, was watching details so specifically, right? Listening in, making sure that I was tracking everything properly so that I knew what, so I knew what was right and what was wrong, what was true, what was false. And so quite literally proving my point and the need to be right was connected to my safety, right? I believed that if I could be right, if I could prove my point always, then I would be existing in the world safely. And if I was wrong or couldn't prove my point, then I would be existing in the world unsafely based on what I saw and experienced growing up. And I remember that being such an aha moment, such an opening, because it was this shift between being the, you know, wounded child who was growing up in this system and seeing the things that she saw versus becoming this wise, mature adult self who could understand, yes, of course, this behavior makes sense in context of what you went through, but you can't keep behaving this way because otherwise it's going to be the disconnector. Disconnector. It'll be something that maintains dysfunction in your relationship and ultimately likely right, the relationship will end. And so it, that was such a powerful and important moment in my life because it was this replacement to your point about the, the post, right? Of replacing defensiveness with curiosity, but also making sure that I was honoring grace and compassion for myself too, of like, you know, there's got to be a reason I engage in this behavior. And when we can get curious about that, then I think we have a real good shot at, yeah, connecting to origin pain that needs our attention. Wow. I feel like I just had a therapy session just there. (laughs) (laughs) Resonates. It Mm. does. I actually, it's quite, I have a quite similar situation. My, my, my parents were, it was, forever, just like an unhealthy thing for, and I remember I used to say that I would beg them, just please break mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Just please break up. Like, don't do this. Like, cause it's constant back and forth. And I would do the same thing, which is like, try to gather all of the details because I wanted to fix the situation. So I wanted to make sure I had all the, all of the details. And I would mm-hmm. say, well, if you just 
were more emotionally available to her, then she would be more affectionate to you. And if you were more affectionate to him, he would be more emotionally available to you. And I could like, Mm -hmm. like see certain things where I was like, well, mom, if you just did this and dad, if you just did that, like it would be, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I tried to play the fixer forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It did not work out. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Not not to my failure of being a fixer, but uh, no. it did not work out. But yes, there are some patterns that I see now because you know I'm engaged at this com- current moment in my life, and and I think I'm always paranoid about you know not repeating some habits that I saw mm-hmm. growing up over and over again. And so you know you talk about uh, in your book um, about wounds, uh, origin wounds, and mm-hmm. so are, is that an example of an origin wound? That yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead and finish what you were going to say. Um, yeah, that was really it. Just okay. wondering if, if that's an example of an origin wound, like getting how you worked backwards to understand, you know, essentially mm-hmm. why, you know, you were approaching conflict in the way that you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that for me fell under, um, a, a safety origin wound. So in the book, I cover five, five origin wounds. When I sat down to write the book, I was like scribbling down all of these experiences of things that I thought would, that were wounds. And eventually I was able to put them all together and come up with these five. And I was like, I really think that this kind of holds the human experience. Um, it's not black or white. Obviously we don't fit into boxes. You might use different language than I would, but the five that really stood out to me were the worthiness wound, the belonging wound, prioritization wound, trust wound, and safety wound. And so, yeah, like, let me, I'll give you high level quick for each, just so people can maybe identify what resonates with them. You could have all five, certainly. So let me put that out up front. Um, You could have multiples or you just might notice that one really stands out to you. The importance though of this is that you're not just thinking about yourself. You're also thinking about your partner, your children, your best friends, your colleagues, right? It's like, it's not to make you do additional work, but it is so important to remember that everybody's operating with origin wounds and you know, generally carrying around some type of unresolved pain that they may or may not know about. And so when we have this context, it can be so helpful for our relationships. So high level worthiness wound, you grew up not feeling good enough, not deserving enough that your value might've been attached to being a performer or perfectionist or the people pleaser or the comic relief, right? Sometimes it's in the worthiness wound where there's a lot of conditions for love and attachment. So if you get the straight A's, if you're a phenomenal athlete, like that's when you get love, connection, validation, approval, attention, peace, calm, right? Something like that. And then when you're not doing those things, is love then not available to you? Is, is the attention and validation not there? Right? So sometimes it happens through those conditions and other times it might just be something that unfortunately it could be explicitly stated where you know maybe an adult in your life literally said, you're not worthy of anything, right? It's like these very heartbreaking moments that children will sometimes go through, but high level is the sensation, the feeling that you weren't good enough deserving, um, 
in yeah in in these relationships um the belonging wound is something where you feel like you are an outsider you don't feel like you fit in so the black sheep of the family will tend to identify with this a lot of times families have this notion of like if you're part of the family you believe this right this is how we do it here sort of that narrative and if you don't believe think do the way that we do right like then then you're not going to get the connection and the love right then you're on the outside you're maybe you're ostracized, maybe you are shunned, maybe you are rejected in some ways, but it's oftentimes when there are differences that uh, present when the family or the adults, um, siblings cannot actually make the bridge with those differences. Prioritization wound. Okay. High level. You didn't feel important enough. Okay. So sometimes this happens when we have a parent who's a workaholic or there's other addiction in the house. Maybe this is a um, mental health challenge that takes up a lot of the energy, a lot of the focus. Maybe it's a sibling who has an illness. Again, parents' attention is there. And so you don't feel prioritized. But I, this is also where I tend to say like, I share a story in the book in the prioritization chapter of a client by name Andre in the book where he had a single mom. He loved and respected his mom so much. And he, yeah, he had such a hard time identifying his wound because she was an incredible mom who gave everything that she had to care for him and give him every chance that she could. And so he was able to rationalize that her working double shifts and multiple jobs was her way of prioritizing him. But still at the end of the day, he wanted to be more of a priority through time Fine. spent. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, you know, they would go to church together on Sundays. They would have brunch afterwards before she would go to her job. And that was it. And he craved for that. And so I think it's important that wounds don't have to develop just because of abuse or, you know, malintent or negligence, right? Sometimes in these heartbreaking moments, it's like wounds develop just because of the circumstances, right. you know, and we don't have to point a finger, but we do need to name and honor what our emotional experience is. Okay. Trust is when there's a betrayal, there's deceit, there's lies. You know, sometimes I think the obvious one that we tend to think of is if there was infidelity or an affair growing up, some kind of a rupture, maybe a parent who gambled away an education fund, somebody who took out a credit card in your name. But then on the like more subtle everyday moments, you know, when an adult promises you something repeatedly and doesn't follow through on that, right? that there's something that ruptures your sense of believing in the important people in your life to follow through on something. And it can also come from, you know, these kind of generalized sweeping comments that some of us hear, you know, maybe it's all men cheat or never trust uh, XYZ, you know, these types of statements that really can penetrate our minds and become our belief system if we don't challenge them. And then lastly, the safety origin wound, um, you know, obviously when we're talking about the absence of safety, we're also often talking about the presence of abuse. It's a really tender chapter. Um, so abuse, uh, negligence, um, recklessness, uh, but essentially if you grew up feeling like your well-being was not cared for, concerned for, um, protected, honored, respected. So 
whew, okay, rambled on, but like needed to get those five out to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, right. Like these are the ways in which they will show up. And my story was I didn't feel emotionally safe, right? In an environment where the adults were constantly at each other, when there was so much manipulation, when there was paranoia, when there was just like a lot, a lot of chaos. And my survival right? Was watching the facts and the details and making sure. And like, I also flew under the radar as a kid and pretended like I was fine and unaffected because I believed that if I wasn't fine, we would all crash and burn. I was like Mm. looking around. I was like, the adults are not fine. So I better be fine because otherwise we're really screwed here. Right. And so, yes, I have a safety origin wound. I have a worthy origin origin wound. Um, and, and yes, to the story that I shared before, like that was my way of trying to create safety, right? Emotional safety, psychological safety for right. myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like your work is, is so important. I feel like because, you know, when it comes to patterns and seeking the same things continue to show up over and over and over again in our lives, the only way to look is inward. That's the mm-hmm. only way to look because if if you are the common denominator when things continue to show up the same exact way. So it's so vastly important to understand, you know, what is the origin wound? Why are we the way that we are? And mm-hmm. I think also just it gives people a lot of power to say, okay, just because it's always been this way does not mean that it always has to be this way. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like People always say, um, you know, from, I I just feel like my single era was just such a a profound period chapter of my life um, Mm -hmm. in terms of healing. And, you know, everybody always says, you know, well, don't, don't go looking for someone and that's when you'll find them or just spend time working on yourself. And you're like, well, what the hell does that actually mean? How do I spend time working on myself? How do I do that? Like, what's, what's the blueprint? And the thing is, there isn't a blueprint. I feel mm-hmm. like there isn't, but, um, there's a million and one ways to do it, but I think truly it is, I think in its essence, you know, it's, it's understanding our patterns mm-hmm. because I kept dating the same exact guy who was showing up over and over and over and over again in a different form. And I was like, okay, when does this change? Like where, why are all men this way? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all men were not that way. You know, they weren't, it's just, that is what I was attracting because it's where I, I feel like it was because that's where I was in my, my, my stage of healing. Mm-hmm. And until I did, went to therapy until I did work on myself and, you know, kind of, I guess I would, I would call it origin work until I did some of that to understand why that kept happening and then tried to reverse the patterns and, and take different steps and make different choices. That was until I did those things, mm-hmm. I kept dating the same person. Yeah. I mean, I I think that patterns are our system's clever way of trying to bring us back in contact with our pain. You know, like my, yeah, my belief is like pain is not out to get us or destroy our lives. You know, pain wants to be acknowledged, right? The things that happen and we don't have to have all the details, right? That people are like, well, I don't remember this. And I don't, it's like, yeah, we don't have to have all the details or all of the memories, but our pain still wants to be acknowledged. It still wants to be witnessed. And what most of us do, especially when there's pain that happens, you know, long ago, when we're kiddos, when we're teenagers, right? It's like, we just, 
survive it and move through. And we kind of like white knuckle our way and brute force our way. And like, we don't know how to witness ourselves when we're seven, you know, we don't know how to spend time grieving what happened when we're 14, right? Like that's not a skill set that we have. So what happens is we just get on with life. We just keep going. And then, you know, maybe we're in school or maybe we're working or maybe, you know, and we're dating people and this, that, and the other. And we're just trying to get on with life by saying, I promise I'll never do this again. But the again is pain's way of saying, hey, like, I get that you want to have, to date somebody different, or I would get that you're, you want your life to look different, or you have an exact idea of what you want it to be. I'm not here to ruin you. I'm not here to destroy your life. I am just bringing you into these patterns as an attempt to get you to see me, right? Because otherwise, if we just get on with our lives, quote unquote, right? like then there's this sense of an abandonment of what the actual pain is, right? Like if we could just move on and move on and move on and never actually have to address any of it, like we would be leaving behind something that really needs our attention. So pain, like our systems are so clever, you know, they're so brilliant. They're going to find ways to bring us back to the thing if we're willing to look. And I think if pain could speak, you know, it would say like, I promise I'll let, uh, you know, I will loosen my grip once you spend time with me. And I think maybe to your point, right. It's like when you spend time with the pain properly, right. Then the pattern gets to shift, you know, that's the beauty of it. And, you know, you're a, a probably a really good example of that. You were dating the same type of person over and over again. Then you started doing some of this work and now you are partnered with somebody who doesn't resemble, you know, some of the same qualities, characteristics, traits, et cetera, that you were used to be for. And that's the beauty of addressing pain, how we do it. I think that there's, you know, as many ways as there are humans on this planet. But what I would say is I do not know how anybody does healing work without exploring the family systems in which they grew grow up. It's like our families are our first education. It is in these, you know, these years where we are learning about everything. We are absorbing everything. We are experiencing things. They're explicitly stated, implicitly stated, right? It's like, this is where the stuff happens. And it's so important for us to turn back towards our pain in this like non-scary overwhelming, like it can be emotional, but this idea of like turning towards it instead of trying to run away from it and try to force outcomes that you cannot get, right? Like if you're, if you keep setting out to do something and you're not getting it, it's a great indicator that your pain wants you to turn back to it. It's like, pay attention to me. There's something yeah. here for you. There's yeah. something here for you, but you've got to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, in terms of couples that you, um, that you work with, would you say that seeing a couples therapist is something that you should do only when, you know, there's trouble on the horizon, trouble in paradise. Um, Mm -hmm. or do you think people should come see you or see someone in the beginning stages of the relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that it's confronting for people to think about going to a couples therapist, you know, in the early stages, most of the people who present with that are like, what does this mean about our relationship? If we have to see a couples therapist so early. And, um, and so I, I get that. And also there's what I have seen in my, you know, professional experiences that people tend to come into couples therapy years too late. And, 
you know, it's like we wait till the crisis happens or we wait till we're so exhausted and run down by whatever the pattern of the conflict is or, you know, whatever the rupture might be. And at that point, we have a lot less in our tank, if you will, to address things. It doesn't mean that we can't, of course, but no, generally I recommend, you know, if people, it's not like you have to go on some kind of like wild goose chase to like, we're good, but like, let's see what we can find. You know, it's like, we don't need to be disruptive, but if you're noticing something, right? Like, and it might not even be couples therapy. Maybe it's a workshop, maybe it's a retreat, you know, like maybe there's something that you do for your relationship that is supportive. But yeah, I love when couples reach out and they're like, we're pretty good, but we want to talk about this thing that we don't see eye to eye on, or we're struggling with intimacy and, you know, it's not terrible, but we want to address it before it gets bad. You know, it's like there is something to preventative work or work where it's like, ah, I've been noticing this thing and we're both open and we're both curious and we both want to dive in. And it's a much more beautiful and like easeful way to come into the work than I hate you, you know, or like, right. It's like, cause people, there's such a range. And when right. we have somebody who's, you know, two feet out or straddling the line, I think that is so much harder to, to navigate, but we take, we take everybody, right. Like yeah. wherever you are on the spectrum, right. It's like, no, no, like there's, there's room and, you know, we might be able, we'll still find a way forward, even if the outcome isn't preferred. Right. Yeah. There's always a way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it possible going back to origin wounds? Uh, cause I'm fascinated by them, but is it possible for us to pass our origin wounds down to our children? For sure. So the, the more unresolved we are, right. The easier it is for it to be passed. Right. It makes it, it, it it's pretty simple. And, it, and I think it probably makes a lot of sense for people hearing it. And when I have parents who ask like, well, what's, what's the best thing that I can do for my kids or how do, you know, how do I protect them? And it's like, we know there are no perfect childhoods, right? Like let's get rid of this idea that you're going to be quote unquote, these perfect parents or that your kids are going to exist in some kind of vacuum, right? It's like, no, they're going to have experiences. You're going to try to protect them from the big stuff, of course. And also as parents, we say the wrong thing. We disappoint, we let down, right? We, we are going to be human and imperfect and flawed in these systems and in this role. And so what I tend to say to parents is like to commit to continuing to resolve that which is unresolved. When we don't, when when we turn away from it, right, then the pain that lives inside of us will find a way to trickle down. So sometimes it's in, you know, the the obvious way is like one of the examples that I gave in the book was, you know, a um a daughter whose mother is commenting about her appearance and her weight. Well, that mother, you know, was told things by her mother, right? And she never resolved her relationship to worthiness, right? And through body image, right? And so then it spills over and maybe it looks a little bit different, right? Maybe grandma was saying it explicitly and making comments and being super critical. And mom is like, oh, well, how do we make sure that you only have one cookie? And, you know, well, what about the, you know, it's like, it might look a little bit different, but it's still going to spill over or a comment. I share this about one of the clients in the book who's like, you're just 
five pounds away from looking great, but it's like always five pounds away, right? So these comments, right, that penetrate people in you know really significant ways, or people who grew up in an abusive childhood and they promise that they're never going to ever abuse their children just to find themselves doing the same thing. Right. Or sometimes in a more subtle way is, you know, the path of opposition. And so we might grow up in a family where there was so much conflict and we sort of swing the pendulum. So instead of there being so much conflict, there's there's zero conflict. And then that parent can never have hard conversations with their child. They avoid everything. They can't bring anything forward for fear of conflict arising. So we talk about this path of repetition, which is the really obvious one, but also the path of opposition where we swing that pendulum 180 degrees and we're operating in a way that, you know, we think kind of objectively is much much better than the original way, but it's still unintegrated and it still creates its own issues. I'm sure. I mean, I don't have kids yet and I already feel like I know what my origin wound is that I'm, I'm already working on, which is like, I, I fear all of the time that I'm just going to be a, a helicopter mom mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I dealt, I was in third grade and, you know, we dealt with loss in my family, super, super young. And we lost my aunt who was, she was only 19, um, in a plane Mm. crash. And it was like this totally traumatic, you know, that thing that everybody fears where you get a phone Mm -hmm. call and it's like this horrible news. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was so young, only 19. And I already deal with that. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely an origin wound of mine because I, like we'll get angry at family if they don't say I love you before they get off the phone every single time. Mm-hmm. And then I worry all of the time about where they're going, what they're doing, if they're safe, if they're going to yeah. be okay. I mean, I have like the do not disturb on my phone, but all of my favorites can get through at any mm-hmm. point And my phone will ring out loud because I'm mm-hmm. terrified. I need, there's an important call I'm going to miss. Um, but I can't imagine that's just my family now and my fiance, but like, I'm already trying to prep myself for Mm -hmm. when I have kids and I'm just like, don't jump off of that or Mm -hmm. don't get hurt or don't let anything happen or don't get a single scratch or just be careful or call me every five seconds or let me call you every five seconds. Like Mm -hmm. I'm already dealing with it. Yeah. (laughs) It's such, it's such good awareness though. You know, I think like that's the beauty of this work is that even if something isn't entirely placed yet, you know, the fact that you're so aware of this part and that, you know, whatever it looks like again, to work on it, right. It's like beautiful. Like that's such a great first, second, third step, you know, it's like to just know that I have a relationship with control that is bigger than I am you know, right. Where it's like, I try to control as an illusion to protect. Yeah. Right. And, oh, you know, it's like, and when we've lost somebody in a tragic, unexpected, wild kind of way that you just described, right. It's like that fear that's like anything can happen at any time is so real. You know, most people say that kind of like knowing that, right. It's like very um, like intellectualized, right. It's like, oh yeah, like these like bad things can happen anytime, but you really lived something that was something you would never have thought of was so tragic, was such a, you know, I mean, that doesn't happen that often. 
right? And like, here was this thing that was so peculiar that you lived through. And so the truth that's inside your body is, yeah, the things that people say like will not actually happen, do happen, right? Or can happen, right? And even though you probably have way more evidence and data points and facts that most people get on a flight and make it to where they're going and they come back and, you know, you've. it sounds like this is the only person you've lost this way. Still, the fact that it can happen drives your life, Mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, to your point, like I said before, you know, the awareness of there's more that I need to reconcile here so that I'm not existing in this way forever. Right. And whether it's, you know, maybe your, your friends or your partner, people are like, kind of go with it and it's okay for them. But, you know, as you said, with a child, oh, everything gets dialed up. Right. You know, it's like, oh, no, my job is to protect you. My job is to make sure. And this part that wants to like step in and protect and control and all of that in order to create the safety is, again, kind of feeding into the illusion that if you control, that is how you create safety for yourself and for your child. Yeah. Which I already know would not be fair to to the child because Mm -hmm. it would be, that would be me making it all about me all the time. Like, I need to know where you are so that I can breathe. I need Mm -hmm. to know what you're doing so that I can breathe so that I can exist so that I don't have, but, but putting those kind of boundaries, uh, constraints on a child is, is not fair to them. So Mm -hmm. I'm already, already (laughs) working through it. And I am not even close yet to being a mom, but (laughs) I'm nowhere near, but I'm already working on it. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, your, well, your child will thank you however many years it is from now, uh, for your, yeah, for your awareness and your, you know, commitment to the work. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it, let's just shift gears, keep bopping around. Cause I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I still have so many questions that I want to ask you. Um, so in relationships, it's normal to have, you know, expectations of your partner. Um, but how do these expectations, you know, become har- harmful to the relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because I feel like a lot of us, we have like these ideas of how, a relationship should be or how they should treat us or how they're supposed to talk to us or how affectionate they should be mm-hmm. or how, you know, often they should want intimacy or all of these expectations that we, that we put. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how can that be harmful to relationship? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times expectations are either driven and motivated from pain that's unresolved versus driven and motivated by the things that are more resolved or more healed, if that makes sense. Right. So like, oh, I need, I expect you to love me this way. If that's being driven from unresolved pain, right. That's going to look really different than somebody who is has their feet on the ground, feels like they've healed things, is not trying to get a partner to participate in some way to help them avoid their pain. Does that, do you follow? Right. So it's like that piece I think really stands out to me is what's motivating the expectation. Second piece is I always say love can be unconditional, but relationships must have conditions in order for them to thrive. Right. And so this uh, I'm going to take your question in a little bit of a different direction. But this idea that, you know, well, if you just love me, you'd, you know, this like this narrative that we can hear from people. Um, And it's sort of this 
expectation that I can just be however I am and you are expected to be in this relationship and choose me and engage with me in this way because quote unquote, if you can't love me at my worst, why would you deserve me at my best? You know, and I think that that's one of the ways is a really fine line to straddle because it's one of the ways that we, again, distract from addressing our pain. You can't actually just behave however you want to behave in relationships and have the expectation that people will need to be okay with it. And if they aren't, then I'm going to cut you out or, you know, you don't deserve me then, right? Like all of those are, you know, defenses to actually addressing what's there. So, yeah. So I think, you know, to understand, I had said this earlier when I was saying like, how many wounds might you have? And do you have all five or do you have one? The idea of understanding our own origin pain and stories, as well as our partners is really helpful for what you're describing. Because when we can see each other through the lens of, wait, what do I know about your history? You know, like, what do I know about what it was like for you to grow up or what your, what your relationship is with your family today? What are the things that hurt you? What are the things that make you feel most insecure? What are you most afraid of? Like when I have a real deep understanding of that, then we can move through this stuff usually in a much better way than if we are, you know, unaware of that entirely, or we just know kind of high level, like some of the details or some of the facts. So when we're talking again about expectations that we are co-creating in a relationship to know that history feels important, to have some type of awareness around what's motivating the expectation or the agreement that we're trying to put in place is so important. And then to both be interested in continuing to resolve the things that are raw is so important. Yeah, that is really important. I would, I would agree with that to both be interested is, is good. Um, and so, you know, another thing I, I think about often is like, you know, in the age of, in the digital age of social media that we live in, um, which is not going anywhere, you know, you constantly see examples of other, you know, relationships and people make these reels. I literally actually posted one literally today. Okay. <laughs> so, Cause it's like a hundred days until our, our wedding. So I posted, mm-hmm. you know, this, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, this, you know, beautiful sound in the background and then like, you know, 10 or 12 of our, like the most perfectly curated engagement photos that we took. Right. And so you see these kinds of things, right. All the mm-hmm. time. And then I think the, what you do is cause I I'm guilty of it. I'll see other people's content. And then I'm like, well, you know, you immediately think, well, their relationship is so perfect. It's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and you start to think about the things that you're lacking and why won't my partner do this on, be like this on social media with me, or why Mm -hmm. won't my partner do this? Or why is it my partner X, Y, or Z? And you just find yourself comparing your relationship, Mm -hmm. uh, to other people's and in, it's not so much of it isn't real. The people that you see on the internet who are having these you know, post these amazing photos or content or whatever, you know, I I like to think of myself not as one of these people, but some of them, Mm -hmm. you know, they have these terrible, awful, toxic relationships and they post this kind of stuff. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the comparison thing. It's hard. Well, one, congratulations. The countdown, when you get to those double digits, so fun. Um, And yeah, like how great to be able to celebrate. I think that's important to still honor that. And yeah, right. This reminder that we are all 
not living in any type of perfect scenario. Uh, it's why, you know, Connor and I, when it's of service to people, you know, we talk about, oh, well, when we're fighting or when we're this or when, you know, I'm like, I, we, he calls me the point prover and I call him the jackhammer. You know, there's something about just pulling the self off of the pedestal. Cause I think it's so easy when you're a bit in the public eye for people to be like, oh my gosh, this relationship, or exactly like you said, wow, look at what your partner does for you. It's like, yeah, that might be true sometimes, right? But it's not always true. You know, Connor and I don't always <laughs> sit down and say like perfectly calm and monotone. And yes, absolutely. I totally understand what you're going through, right? Like sometimes our voices are raised. Sometimes we're reactive. Like that's so refreshing for people to hear. And I think everybody has to try to keep that in mind when they're consuming content, because otherwise you just exist in this hierarchical space of putting everybody else above you. It feeds whatever storyline you have, like you're not good enough or this will never happen for you or, you know, whatever it is and being really mindful of that. Yes. We want to be able to celebrate the beautiful things that are happening in our lives because that is true, but sometimes it's important you know, I, I think especially for people are, who are putting content out there to, you know, be authentic and, you know, express in a way that helps other people see us kind of all existing in a very similar space. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, okay, so the last question that I will ask you is, what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Ah, uh, love this question. It a hundred percent is that there's room for you to not be fine. I am crying because I am choking on coughs that I've been muting myself from, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like that there's space for you to not be fine. And even if there wasn't space in every particular moment that I would have invited her to <clears throat> find that space, notice that space and, and just bring it forward in some way, because I existed as a needless little girl turned needless woman for so long. And because of that, I existed as this person who pretended like she was fine and unaffected and unbothered by literally everything that was going on in her life for so long. So yeah, if I could turn back to little Vienna, it was it would just be like find the first moment where it's okay for you to not be fine and take up the space and drop that role as quickly as possible. I love that. I love that answer so much. Uh, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. It's okay well, to you. not be okay. Thank you so much for being on. I loved this conversation so much. I feel like we all learned so much and we will all be running out to get your book. Oh, thank you. you. So thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Vienna as much as I did. You can follow her on Instagram at mindfulmft. You can follow me on Instagram at Victoria Brown. The podcast handle is at very best self. And make sure that you are subscribed. Give us five stars, all the good stuff, right? All of the good stuff. I hope that there was something in this episode today that really connected with you, resonated with you, and will help you navigate, you know, your relationships uh, current and your relationships in the future. And that's what I will leave you with today. So I will see you guys next week. Uh, That's it. Love you, mean it. Bye.